Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 97, Crowdsourcing. I'm Pat Ryan. On this podcast, we talk with scientists and engineers, astronauts, and lots of other folks about their part in America's space exploration program. And that includes some parts of the space program that you might not think of right away. I think it was an episode of the Mary Tyler Moore Show, or some classic like that, in which some dopey character asked the people who put together a television newscast, where do you get your ideas from? No, really. Of course, in their case, the ideas come from real life, from the news. But what if you're not reporting what other people have done? What if you're doing things that are brand new? Where do you get your ideas from? At NASA, the people who come up with amazing ideas for the things that we do are also smart enough to know that they don't have all the answers, or even all the best answers. And for some years now, the agency's been making an active effort all over NASA and the rest of the government and everywhere else to ask the question, which I happen to know is critical to TV producers the world over. I don't know. What do you think? NASA's Center of Excellence for Collaborative Innovation was established in 2011 to pursue crowdsourcing as a way to support research and development efforts. Its website says the team works with innovators across NASA and the federal government to generate ideas and solve important problems, and that they're trying to create innovative, efficient, and optimal solutions for real-world challenges by asking other people by tapping into the expertise of the global communities. And today we're going to find out about NASA's crowdsourcing initiative and the good ideas that it's already brought into the agency. Our guests are Lynn Buquo and Steve Rader, the manager and deputy manager, respectively, of the Center of Excellence for Collaborative Innovation here at the Johnson Space Center. And a heads up, when you hear them say, COSI, they're pronouncing the acronym for their office name, which in this case is a whole lot easier than repeating that name every time. Okay, here we go. T-minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Launch commit light circuit for the red. There she goes. Houston, we have a podcast. I guess it's a whole high school debater in me that wants to start by making sure we all know what we're talking about. So let's define the terms. Lynn Buquo, what is crowdsourcing? Oh, I set this up so Steve could actually be the one to <laughs> uh, define crowdsourcing. Well, and you are the boss. Because, so. <laughs> because um, I think the passion that comes with what we're doing is best. Um, it comes through when he talks about it. So I thought we'd let Steve start with the definition of crowdsourcing if that works for That's you. That's fine. Steve? Sure, yeah. You no, better so, get this right, though. So, yeah, it's funny. We use the words crowdsourcing and we use the words open innovation uh, to talk about really opening up beyond your normal team, your normal set of folks. And that can be opening up to uh, a crowd like NASA at work that is all the employees at NASA, or it can be a, a worldwide crowd of, you know, 32 million like freelancer.com. Uh, and it, crowdsourcing is really anytime you get something from a whole group of people, uh, whether that's from individual inputs or little bits of work or lots of work or teams. Uh, people really have seen crowdsourcing at work with stuff like Wikipedia, right? Okay. Uh, that's where 
lots of people made lots of inputs and through a process that got vetted and now it's one of the the premier places for uh, people to go for information on the planet right um there's a great book by clay shirky called uh, uh cognitive surplus and it talks about how many uh cycles the humans uh have uh as, as spare cycles uh, especially with the advent of the 40 hour work week and we don't think about it because a lot of people just watch tv and whatnot but uh what do you mean by spare cycles spare cycles when you are awake and you are able to do stuff um and you're not at work and uh your brain can be put to some use and in fact um he talks about it <laughs> there's a great example no one no one bats an eyelid if you go to five hours of, of NFL football, right, and spend your <laughs> right. afternoon that way. But people will look at you funny if you say, yeah, I spent five hours working on this really hard technical problem or creating a CAD model or working on Wikipedia, you know, writing up some solutions. But people have a real passion for making a difference and for making an impact. And a lot of people have different little niche uh, passions that they go after online uh, and, and they, they connect with people they, they know enjoy that same thing or have that same passion. They do that to learn. They do that to contribute. And so you, get, you end up with communities like TopCoder, which is 1.5 million software developers and data scientists that all come together to learn and to have competitions and to connect with people that have that similar passion. And we can name five others, you know, 100,000 sure. people at Tongle, uh, all about video and, and doing uh, video contests and, and connecting on how to become a filmmaker. Think, you can think about it in terms of the people who have passion for NASA as well, yeah. all facilitated yeah by the internet, right? How many people spend time on the NASA website right. looking for information, right? It's it's really a similar principle. Yeah. And one of the things we've talked about is we've been really fortunate. People want to support NASA. I mean, worldwide, we've had people that are, want, are passionate about the mission. We keep using the word passion here. Mm -hmm. They're passionate about the mission, right? And they want to participate. They want to figure out how they can participate. And I think that's one of the things we've been really fortunate because we work with lots of government agencies yeah. who are doing using crowdsourcing as a tool to help them advance their mission, right? Um, and we've been really fortunate. The NASA brand is a really powerful, oh, sure. powerful brand in and of itself. Is this relatively new in, in terms of years where you are finding people willing to contribute to places where they don't work and they're not being paid? Yes and no, right? So crowdsourcing and challenges has been around for hundreds of years, right? Yeah. The the con big contest back in the, what, the 1600s to come up with a, a clock that would let you sail from east to west and, and things like that. That And the, the famous cabinet maker that, that won that that was not the normal scientist. Um, those kinds of things have been around a long time. The, the real difference is these platforms, right? These ability, the internet uh, uh, and its ability to connect people in ways that you can do this on a scale and a regularity. And these are really two-sided networks, right? One side is downward facing to the actual community and building that community and trying to bring them together around doing stuff. The other side often will face as a business. So uh, Top Coder supplies 
software services and they can build software for you. Incentive solves really hard problems for companies that, that they can't solve any other way. Uh, you know, Tongle produces videos. Um, and so there's, there's two-sided networks um, and the platforms that they have sometimes will use machine learning to match people with tasks. Sometimes they'll have really uh, elaborate ways to, to do these uh, contests to give people incentives. Top Coder, you can, you can actually get scores by the work you do on there and you can work that score up. I think a data scientist as a 2800 or above can literally walk into Facebook or Google and get a job. Oh, it works as my, a resume, yeah. My question, what does the score get you? Right, yeah. yeah. And that's what we've seen. We've actually had people we know that have worked with us on projects that, that tell us, hey, I'm, I'm leaving early from the project because I just got a job at Google. NASA itself actually started using crowdsourcing in 2005 when okay. um, we got the Centennial Challenges program. And if you think about it, I had an attorney teach me once, because um, the question of what is different about crowdsourcing in the government, um, because what, what he, he trained me to realize is that in the private sector, you want to go do a thing, you should be asking the question, is the thing I want to do legal? In the government, when we want to go do a thing, we have to question, is there a law that allows us to go do that thing? Um, it really put in context for me the difference between working in the private sector and working within the government. And for us, what we have figured out is that we have several laws, several legal authorities that actually allow us to do crowdsourcing. Centennial was the first within the federal government because people were seeing things like the X Prize going on. Right. And so they looked to which agency would be the best agency for us to think about uh, what, what, who could use this tool best, and of course NASA was selected. So in 2005, they actually added to the Space Act this ability for us to go do these big public multi-year, multi-million dollar challenges. And kind of the way it's evolved is what we're about is not those big challenges so much, although we're supporting other agencies with them right now, um, but really about using crowdsourcing as a smart way to do a government procurement. And a procurement is when the government decides, I need a thing, I would need to acquire it, I want to buy it, but I can't simply go buy it. Right. There's, it becomes much more complicated. Right. Exactly. And, and, and there's a real thing going on here. In fact, we, we, we've just been putting a story together about this. Um, the times have changed significantly over the last, I'd say, 20 years. Um, Technology has just exploded, and a lot of that is due to these building block technologies like open APIs, like the Google Map API, right? That's mm -hmm. one where when they came out with it and suddenly people could use that, 50 different applications suddenly popped out of nowhere, and now you have Waze and all sorts of different applications that use that. And that's repeated over and over with nano coatings and with CRISPR in the biotech area and with... Uh, different sensor, new cheap sensor technologies. And these building blocks apply across all different domains. So people actually use CRISPR, which is chiefly for DNA sequencing and, and editing the genome, but it's being applied over here in petrochem, and it's being applied over here in, in various other industries in way for coatings and industrial processes. So we're seeing that over and over, and, and it's been an explosion. If you look at the number of patents that have come out over the last 20 years, um, you see this 
big exponential curve. And in fact, there's a, there's a stat out right now that kind of characterizes that, which is 90% of all scientists that have ever lived are alive and working today. Okay. And so when I first came to NASA, if you wanted to get the latest and greatest technology to go build on, you had to go check out a few tech journals, go to a conference, talk to a few vendors, and you knew you had whatever the latest and greatest thing was. That is now almost impossible to do. You can't just go look it up. You can't go Google it because a lot of these companies are keeping that stuff close until it's actually for sale. Uh, you, it's, it's happening in universities and industry all over the world. Uh, and it's happening at a scale that's just unfathomable um, to our traditional means. And so this new way of, of actually having to find the valuable technologies to go build on and invest in, right? Because once you pick it, you go spend millions of dollars. You don't want to find out three years into that and $10 million yeah, later that it doesn't work. That it doesn't work. It's a very expensive thing. And what we're finding is the crowd is actually the best way to go find that needle in the haystack. Because the crowd happens to be a human network that's connected to almost every corner of the technical world. And so crowdsourcing challenges end up being this kind of new quirky thing in a lot of people's minds, but it's exactly what's necessary in the new world order for technology. And to reinforce something that you said before, it's that development of technology over the last 20 years that's allowed the crowd to be involved. Exactly. It allows exactly. me to sit at my desk and, and right. click a button and find out maybe what NASA is looking for, but anybody else to find out what those things exactly. are. And it feeds on each other, right? It's, it's this loop where the, mm -hmm. the, the crowd gets bigger and learn more and we get more technology built up. Uh, and we're seeing big leaps happening, right? So we'll, we'll do challenges uh, and we, we can show where the performance of an algorithm is 120x improvement, uh, not just like a 10% improvement. Uh, and it's because we're getting this diversity of uh, thought and, and diversity of expertise applied to problems. Before we do that, let me get you to tell me more about how it started for NASA. You mentioned a, a and, and help define the words challenge. Yes. What, what is a <laughs> challenge in this sense? Yeah. So for us, what it means is we a public competition. We have a problem. We put it out there, usually through a website, and it says we need a solution to such. And people actually submit solutions and compete for an award or a prize based on the authority. We have different terminology for what, but it's really about a public competition that people can participate in at their computers, at their desk. Now, some of the centennial challenges actually have people show up and do tech demonstrations. Yeah. Um, we just did our first that we manage kind of tech demonstration type um, public competition that down selected and then people brought their prototypes to the Glenn Research Center to have their technology actually tested at the Glenn Research Center. So a challenge, a competition, those are we, we use those terms um, interchangeably, actually. And if, if people are competing for a prize, is that a money prize or could it be some other kind of thing, something that you've decided they will find to be of value? So NASA itself has a, a whole range of public challenges um, the Space Apps Challenge, the world's biggest hackathon. There's no prize money that people get for participating in that. They get to win, you know, the the, the People's Choice Award. They the get, approbation of their peers. Yes, they, that's exactly. And a lot of people, that's what they're looking for is recognition. There's the old gold guts and glory. And good. Um, and, and good. good. 
whole God's, <laughs> God's glory and, and good. The four G's. Yes, yeah. the four G's, and it, it varies. Because we're buying something through the use of crowdsourcing, we always have funding associated with that. So people compete. Um, the, 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 the value of the award uh, is different. It changes based on how complex the problem is. One of the things that we figured out by working with Harvard, because we have this relationship that uh, was developed with Harvard back in 2009, 2010, um, when we were first looking at using crowdsourcing as a way of buying stuff, um, they really helped us figure out that the, the, the amount of the money isn't the real incentive for participating a lot of the times. So that was one of the key things we, that we got from their research. Is so you that didn't have to More money doesn't it. necessarily <laughs> mean, yeah, more. In fact, you can, you can overprice it to where the uh, a prize that's too large, according to their studies, will drive the very people you need away. They'll think it's too hard. I can't possibly do that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Right. If they're giving that much money. And, and I'll <laughs> add, we, we, our office, the, the COSI and the NASA Tournament Lab, we particularly uh, use what we call curated crowds, which are these companies that have actually pulled together communities around a passion, around a particular area. Private companies. Private, Private companies. companies. Mm -hmm. and, and they have brought people in voluntary. It's free to join these, these communities, but they've built them up to where they know what incentivizes them. And they know, like, like I said, Top Coder, you can get these points. You get badges. You get in other ones. You you might get uh, recognition on their site in different uh, ways. And they know how to to set the price for what you're asking for. Uh, and they have ways of licensing or transferring the intellectual property. They have all of that kind of worked out with the crowd. And so it's it's just normal business. And we use that uh, to get. Different, different At this things. point in the podcast, I think it's necessary to state that we are not endorsing any of these, of these companies that are, we're naming. Yes. We yeah. have contracts with Absolutely. them, and yeah. so we have legal mechanisms that we work with these companies. These are not these are not endorsements. Yes. In the in I the just had to say that in well, the, in the go ahead. we have we work with sixteen different crowds, and I added it up the other day. I think it, it comes to something like 70 million people we have access to. Participate them through, through these one or more of these other Right, we can companies. access uh, just millions of people. Uh, and, and really, if you, get, uh, if you get a good tweet out on NASA uh, Twitter account, right, yeah. you can actually draw even more people in because they're free Who to join. Who come and join those communities, yeah. right? Because they're following NASA on Twitter but weren't already exactly. involved in, right. in one of these companies. right. right. To go back to to one of the the original challenge, give me a, a sense of what the guts of this was about. Mm -hmm. What was NASA trying to get, and decided to issue this challenge to, to acquire? Oh, to use to to figure out how to use crowdsourcing as a way back to back at the beginning. What anything. was it? What was it that we so were the after? Cent the Centennial Challenges program was really about stimulating innovation in the private sector, that in the long term would end up helping us. Um, when uh, it was actually Jeff Davis here at the Johnson Space Center who was attending a class at Harvard, a management, because our senior executives get trained well, right, <laughs> was attending a class and he heard about this open innovation use of crowdsourcing um, that was happening in the private sector. And by the way, this is very, very common in the private sector. Um, we probably are about 10 years behind in terms of really um, taking advantage of it, maybe even longer. Um, but what he learned was, hey, there's this whole new way that we could actually go and acquire R&D 
we could actually use this as a way to do that. And he had just taken a huge budget cut in his organization. So he comes back. He was aware that we had the Centennial Challenges stuff going on, but he was looking at a shorter term, faster, let's, let's acquire these this R&D, if you will, and so ran this pilot to see whether or not it would work. He looked at the human risks that were most important to his organization at the time. What were they looking to minimize in terms of the risk of a human being being in flight, in space? Mm -hmm. um, and then from that, derived kind of these are the things that would be really big wins if we could go solve these. Um, and so we put in place a mechanism with Innocentive to do some external um, competitions, our first look at it, thanks to our very smart lawyers <laughs> who said, by the way, we couldn't use the centennial authority that was given to us, but they looked at the federal acquisition regulation and said, this is no different than how we do business all the time. We have companies that we contract with. We say the government has a requirement for a new way to wrap space food, and that company just happens to go develop that solution to that particular problem by launching a public competition. It fills the, to it's, fill the order. It's to fill the order. We don't, we don't care how they do it. They happen to go launch a competition and they bring us back. Here's the best things we got from this. Government evaluate these, which one fits the bill, and then we get our solution and they pay the prize amount. We don't pay the prize. It's the contractor who pays the prize in our particular, in a NASA tournament lab competition. Mm -hmm. We have to be very careful about that because these are technically our contractors' competitions. NASA is definitely involved. NASA is the requirements owner. NASA is working hand in hand with them, but it's technically their responsibility to deliver us the solution. So we did this. We did this in a pilot format. And it was like, wow, this could work great. This could work great for us. We not only piloted external competitions, we piloted the use of competitions with the NASA community at large. And that's how NASA hmm. at Work was born. Because I think very early on, one of the things we realized is this agency has incredible talent, has incredible skill, has incredible knowledge. Why don't we try and figure out a way to share that across the agency? And uh, scattered all over the country. All yeah. over the country. And everybody at NASA is busy doing their job, head down doing their <laughs> job. If they have a little bit of this cognitive surplus to dedicate to solving somebody else's issue over at the Johnson Space Center, then people at Marshall will get on. We don't ask them to spend a lot of time. That was piloted. That was incredibly successful as well. So after that, that was just kind of a test case. We then had to go up and do full up procurements to bring contracts on board to continue to exercise this. So early on, back in 2012, we had a relationship with Harvard Topcoder, a relationship with Innocentive, a relationship with a company called Yetu.com. Um, and then in 2015, we moved, we realized there were more companies. People doing this as a business model is not getting less. There are more and more really? companies that realize this methodology works. This is a solid business model for them. So in 2015, we put in place a mechanism where we now have contracts with 10 companies who specialize in crowdsourcing. Not only that, Steve went and did a pilot to see, hey, there's all these low cost platforms that are popping up that do this stuff. We do these same things with a government credit card. 
So we have micro-purchase challenge that yeah, we, we like low to. cost. We yeah. like yeah, low yeah. cost <laughs> with tremendous results, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we were able to do in that pilot, I think, uh, 14 CAD challenges that normally would have cost a, about a thousand. Ja- in the pilot, yeah. Yeah, and we, we, we spent $1,400, and it would Man. have cost us 14000 uh, was the estimate if, if we had done that in-house. Uh, and, and people were really excited about being in involved in NASA's mission. Um, I, I just one thing to add on to the history, because I think it was a pivotal piece to this that got us going, uh, was in 2011, just after Jeff had really gotten these pilots going, the White House Office of Science Technology Policy yes. came through and said, hey, we're also seeing the need for government to start using these methods, these open methods. Um, and you guys seem to be ahead of the game. And so would you actually stand up a center of excellence that not just helps NASA do this, but helps all federal agencies? And actually, that's part of our, that's what we do now. We actually help with our contracts. We run challenges for Homeland Security and NIST and EPA and VA. And we've done about, I think, 15 different agencies. And so right now, there's the opioid detection challenge that is very, very important in the U.S. government. That's run on our contract. Uh, wow. We just finished uh, one with Homeland, another one with Homeland Security on improving the millimeter wave screening algorithm, which is currently not great, right? And so they're looking to improve that. They ended up with a machine learning uh, challenge on Kaggle that uh, paid out $1.5 million, and it got a, an algorithm that was about 98% accurate, which just blows away what they've had. Their comment was that that was uh, the best $2.5 million they've spent in a long time. Well, I wanted to ask you to explain specifically the goal of the Center of Excellence for mm-hmm. Collaborative Innovation. That's the, what you manage and deputy manage. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's you're, you're doing this crowdsourcing, running this from here in Houston for just NASA? Beyond NASA to the whole government. So we would really like to be doing more for NASA because we really think this technique is something that NASA could leverage. We know we have a crowd out there that would just absolutely give it their all to participate in helping NASA um, achieve its mission. Um, We were originally put in place um, and I, I have to give a shout out to Jason Cruzan, um, who was very instrumental in taking this into the world of algorithm and software development. Um, so Jeff was here at Johnson working on human health and life sciences and R&D related to that. Jason was very interested in how the technique could be used to improve algorithms and to develop software. Um, and so he worked kind of on that side. And then the, the White House at the time saw what we were doing the other agencies were just getting their authority to go do prizes and challenges so as much as we wanted to continue um having nasa use the the technique um we were because we were being successful because the pilot had been success because we already had contracts in place right it was like would you guys do this and so very early on from very early on we started helping other agencies as well with always the goal that 
every time we do one of these, we learn something. So in helping the other agencies, we were able to perfect how to use the challenges. And one thing that I would say to this day, we are still learning. I mean, we've been doing this now for how many years now? Eight years now. Um, and it's still, every challenge has a, something new that we learn. And always from a positive perspective. I mean, there's always yeah. the human element and the politics and the dynamics of working across different agencies with different um, and different funding sources that cause, I would say we have bureaucratic hiccups we've had, but in terms of the <laughs> actual... see how you want to characterize the, that. Yeah. <laughs> the actual execution of the competitions themselves have all been terribly exciting. Tara, we've learned something from it. We know this technique's technique works. We know it. We have data that proves it. We have examples that prove it. Mm -hmm. And so we're here. We're here to help NASA. We want to do more for NASA, but we're also here to continue to have the federal government use this capability to have the federal, to improve how the federal government does business. Maybe to expose my own ignorance, but it, it seems to me like this is new enough that you would have a hard time finding people to work mm -hmm. in your office to help other people do this. Uh, well, I can share with you. We had because oh, we're, we're a small office. We are a small office. We have uh, four civil servants and four contractors that are supporting us. Um, and we just had a civil service position open up. And through here at JSC, of course, there's limitations, right? Here at JSC, you always start with a what's called a NETS announcement. I don't know what the acronym stands uh, for, I don't but remember. it's to people, hey, we've got this job out here. If you want just a lateral, come over and work for us, right? And so Steve said, I just want to put in NETS that this is the coolest job in the federal government. <laughs> Why not? And sure enough, we had real candidates that came out of the woodwork. <laughs> and we now have a young man who's joined our team from um, the flight ops area, former flight controller, that is really excited about figuring out how we spread the use of this yeah. capability. How do you find the ways you want to, to reach out, whether it's inside NASA or, or outside the agency. Um, how do you look for those ideas that are out sure. there? Yeah, and, well, and, I mean, some of that we're using the infrastructure that these companies that we contract with have put together, right? That's okay. why we're hiring them is because they have a community of people that are, are set to go and they know how to reach out beyond into the public sector. Now, we also use our NASA microphone as well as we can, right? Because we do have ways to communicate with the public that are effective. Um, but we're trying to get, we're trying to cast a wide net every single time. Uh, and, and it's funny, that's the easiest part of our communication, in my opinion. The harder part of our communication is with our employee base. That's where I was going to go. Uh -huh. I think that was kind of was that the gist of your question? How do these problems arise? Not no, not necessarily yeah. with employees, but but just in in general, whether sure. it's an idea, looking for ideas outside, or or yeah. finding out about ideas that are trying to get in touch with you. Um, yeah, the human network and grassroots stuff has mm -hmm. been a big element of I, senior management at NASA is well aware of the technique. They know it works and have been supportive um, from a from a management. I'm trying to figure out how to say this diplomatically. Yeah. So <laughs> let me let me let me work they let, on this. They one. let you try. 
they're aware of it. They yeah. know it's there. They know it's good, right? And we've had um, project teams that have come forward that have just been, wow, this has been great. We just did one for the waste management team, um, a kind of a joint KSC, JSC, mm-hmm. and there's another team. And they're like, this is a great technique. But what hasn't shifted are the project plans that build mm-hmm. into the yearly budgets Ah. the ability Mm -hmm. to go do one of these right so that's where we are now in terms of there's senior leadership awareness yes that this is good there's employee awareness Mm -hmm. i mean steve trying to get institutionalized into the system yes exactly yes exactly because until management at the division and branch level have the flexibility within their budgets and are given the the opportunities to test this out in terms of how they manage their projects that's kind of the tension the point i think where we have the tension most right now is that there's awareness there's an understanding this is great but how do you shift the ship the way the ship is used to operating Uh and for me right now is the best time we've got these new programs standing up we've got this we've got new leadership within the agency now is the time for us to figure out how do we get into the project management schedules we need to go figure out how we do a public challenge how we use the tool set within the nasa tournament lab to help us because one this is not a replacement this is an additional tool available we're not trying to put the 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 standard processes have worked right they have worked and they still will and they still will but why not take advantage of this new way of doing business that is sure to garner success for the most part yeah. and make those leaps mm-hmm. it's now now is the time where we can use this to make those leaps don't need to wait you don't is need it? to wait you've used the terms for a couple of programs that i think are, are part of this nasa at work mm-hmm. and the nasa tournament lab could you could you explain what those are and and sure. what audiences they're aimed at because yeah, yeah. i i think i understand that they're different absolutely so nasa tournament lab is our public facing Brand. So you won't hear about the Center of Excellence for Collaborative Innovation it's outside of NASA. <laughs> that's that's simply our office. But it uh, is lovely, though. It yes. is, and I like how you cozy yeah. get cozy yeah. with cozy. Yeah. <laughs> so our NASA Tournament Lab is our public-facing brand, and we are part of a collection under the Solve brand for for the agency. So if you go to nasa.gov/solve, you'll see all of our crowdsource challenges across the okay. agency. But you know that includes our sister agent, uh, sister program, uh, the Centennial Challenges that we've talked about, the International. Space Apps Challenge, Citizen Science. Includes Citizen Science, too. Um, and so we have all these different programs in the education as well. Um, and so NASA Terminal is, is simply that that lab, that uh, that brand that uses uh, all of these commercial, what we call curated crowds, right? Those 16, 17 different crowds. Our NASA at Work crowd is our internal crowd. So a lot of companies are now uh, putting employee crowds together, and there's a lot of tools out there to do that. Um, but we've we've had this running now since 2010, 2011 with the pilot, and we're up to I think about 24, 25,000 members of that, which is you know getting close to half of. Uh, the entire population of both contractors and civil servants. Both contractors and civil servants can be on that platform. It We find it most effective for what we call enterprise knowledge sharing, where you've got somebody working on something that applies to somebody else's problem, and they're able to say, you know, you're about to go try to solve this uh, by investing money, but I've actually already done some of that. So we have some really great examples of that. And like Lynn says, 
NASA's got some of the most innovative, brilliant people in the world. Tap into that, right? Uh, uh, ask hard questions. So that's, I think that's most of our crowds uh, that we yeah. have. I, I still get fascinated with the, the whole concept of people who are out there buzzing around the internet and say, oh, look, there's something where, where somebody's having a problem and I can help them. So yeah. I will. Yeah. So I'll volunteer. So we have a couple of examples. So the, the um, challenge that was done really is kind of a test of whether it would work or not um, for the Mars 2020 program was, okay, we're sending these vehicles all the way to Mars and there's dead weight on them. And Steve, correct me with my technical explanation <laughs> of this because I'm not deeply technical, um, but there's dead weight. And as the, the um, vehicle is landing, that stuff is just jettisoned off of it. It's just balanced. It's just ballast for the landing. If we're going all the way to Mars, why are we using, why are we not using every amount available on that vehicle? So they launched a public competition to see, and sure enough, they got a three good solutions. One that was the, the, the grand prize winner, if you will. And this gentleman had a really solid concept. I can't remember the specifics of what his solution was. It, we don't, do you remember it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, say what it was. Yeah, so let me back up a little bit and clarify just a little bit. Um, so on Mars spacecraft, as they're going through out of vacuum and into the atmosphere, you can't use jets because you've got atmosphere and you can't use aerosurfaces because you're, you're not enough atmosphere. Mm -hmm. and so they actually jettison if uh, mass and tungsten, tungsten is what they, is what they, they use, use yeah. um, in order to turn the spacecraft in correct as steering, exactly. Uh, much like balloons used to do a long time ago, right? right? Um, and so that was, they, they wanted to find But by a, a casting off that mass, instead of a thruster, you cast off exactly. that mask, which yep. gives you And so the they, they wanted reaction. to see if, is there something we could use that mass for? If we're taking it all the way over there and jettisoning it. Before we throw it overboard. For science, for, then, or then after, were, and in fact, that's what okay. happened. The solution yeah. was to, to, to actually uh, put barium tracers uh, in the, within those masses. And once you system. jettison those tracers into the atmosphere, they start to dissolve and they start to uh, disperse in the atmosphere. And we have orbiters that actually can take mass spectrometers and examine those to find out more about the upper atmosphere of Mars. Can track the markers as exactly. they disperse. Yeah, it's just like like anything like tracers in your blood or yeah. however you trace things. Um, and so th that was the, the real innovation. And this guy had no space. He was a marine scientist. Uh, type of guy from, from Rising Star, Texas. He lived in Rising Star, Texas. <laughs> yeah. And his design was so good that they actually took him out to JPL to brief to the team, Mars uh, the Mars 2020 team out there. Um, he went on to win like eight more, not our specific challenges, not NASA challenges, but he was introduced to this whole, hey, I can use my brain to solve these problems and so continue to do that we just recently had we just completed a challenge that we launched in partnership well actually the department of interior's bureau of ocean energy management oh yeah did a reimbursable <laughs> agreement with us because they were really interested in figuring out how to more efficiently track marine animals and so we are very interested in how do we better use CubeSat technology in the future. Um, so we partnered to launch this public challenge and it was the next generation of animal tracking. And this was really just to get concepts and ideas in on how could we improve the current technology. And one of the winners of this challenge, it turns out that this was the third NTL challenge that he had actually been a winner in. He was one of the space poop challenge. Mm -hmm. Can make a living well. at it. 
Uh, yeah, well, what he's excited about this one because he wants to really go ahead and look at um, further developing his recommendation for this technology because I think he sees a real future in mm -hmm. it. So we have had repeat um, and there Winners. are people. There are people that make money, uh, make livings out of this. There's a mathematician in Poland who's a national hero there, who wins top coder challenges uh, all the time, multi-million dollar type of prizes. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, there are definitely people who are out there. What's interesting is most of the solutions uh, that are useful are actually coming from this diversity of people. Yes. Uh, there's a study that Harvard and MIT did of incentives winning. Uh, challenges and what they found was 70% of the time that there was a win that solution came from somebody outside of the domain of the challenge owner so if you're a chemist trying to come up with a chemistry solution and innovation you have really poor chances of doing that with a team in-house you're much likely to get that innovation that comes from outside with a new um, perspective exactly. I felt that that way in, in you know, busy trying to write something and, and, and he can't quite get past yeah. my own head because I don't know what's going on. Yeah. But if I ask somebody who's not been involved, they can see something new yep. about it that yep. had, had escaped me. Yep. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a great, um, gosh, there's so many stories. But we had one where we, had a, we were trying to predict solar flares and we had a two hour prediction capability. We were trying to get that to four and we put a challenge out and uh, the guy who won was a retired cell phone engineer. <laughs> who happened to have an undergrad in heliophysics. And it happens to, that when you take the math from extracting signal from noise and apply it to heliophysics problem, you get a really good prediction. And his ended up being like an eight hour prediction capability. And so it brought a whole new technique into the fold. I think they're still building on these techniques, but but it's, it's uh, you know, what are these things going on in other domains that can actually be applied? Yeah, one of the things that was very important to us early on that was, um, it was it, the question of, all right, we're going out there, we're asking the public to do this, what good is it to us? So one of our early, early um, focuses was on ensuring that we get a usable solution. Yeah that when we get something in, in any particular in any per yes for an challenge. NTL challenge we make sure because uh, this was a this was a lesson we learned early on you have to have an infusion pathway for the solution that you're going to get an infusion pathway is a what is a I can take it I know what I'm going to do with it when I get it so you're so, looking for uh, you're looking for something that wins that's useful and not just the winner that can be put into operational use that changes how that project is doing its business okay. right it might be small it might be large but when i get the something that i've done this competition for i can actually take that something and put it to work nice. did that explain that yes. better yes yeah okay you you've given me what I was going to ask for, several examples of, of the way this has worked in the past. Tell me about some of the challenges that are out there now that that people might be interested in. Sure. Well, like uh, NASA work right now, we've got one uh, that's looking at drug stability analysis. Do we have ways that we can analyze drug stability? And it's asking folks around the agency. Uh, we've got one that's a little more fun that's trying to come up with a, an insignia for the, the new gateway program, you know, letting <laughs> really? people do a graphic thing. We actually did one a while back that was looking at at user concepts for how we would pioneer Mars, and we did it in short story format to kind of pull on those people that, as a hobby, 
do writing, right? And mm-hmm. so we, we actually got a lot of little uh, short stories that without helped us the need flesh of, out. Without the need of having to do the math to figure out exactly. how it would actually work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were just looking for ops concepts yeah. at that point. Um, but right now, gosh, there's really more going on with other agencies. I mentioned the opioid okay. detection challenge, which right. is looking at right. detecting opioids in the mail stream. Talk uh, about the NGA challenge. The NGA, yeah. The National Geospatial Intelligence Agency has come to us, and they actually just launched, right? And this is the first of, I think, four phases, but basically they're in charge of modeling and uh, measuring the magnetosphere of the entire planet. And that model is used for GPS. It's used at all compasses. So all of that um, has come together, and they're spending, I think, eight or nine million dollars to run this series of challenges uh, and they're they're looking at whole new detection ideas and are going to actually fund all the way through operation. So it's a really exciting uh, set of challenges. And then you know, Bureau of Reclamation's doing some really interesting stuff with us. Uh, NIST is doing a thing on differential privacy, which is Who's you know, that? NIST, uh, so the National Institutes for Standards, Standards and, and Technology. Technology. Yeah. Okay. And differential privacy is you know how do you keep uh, data private when you really need it. So firefighters really could use information about apartment buildings, but that information is typically stored with PII that can be used against them. So there's this whole, like, how do you, how can you automatically take data and de-identify it? And they're, they're making some progress that, that Google and other are looking at what we're doing wow. uh, to, to really understand this new emerging area. We've got some great data science going on there. Um, the nuclear regulatory agencies. Oh, yeah, looking at nuclear threats. Look, yes. So, you know, when you're driving a van. <laughs> Weapons threats or, or yeah. uh, power yeah. plant like, threats? Yeah, you know, like uh, driving down the street with a detector to, to find and literally looking at trace amounts of radioactivity and then being able to triangulate where that is. Oh. Uh, so, yeah. Machine learning, all of that's like those communities and those uh, challenges are really where I think the the most amazing stuff is going on. There's one that a guy in the office kept pointing to and he wanted me to ask about. What is Cinespace? What is that? (laughs) (laughs) So Cinespace um, was started by the space station program. Um, They have a a non-reimbursable agreement, Space Act agreement, with the Houston Cinema Arts Society. And it was really a way of getting the public to use all that fabulous NASA imagery that's available out there because the requirement is there's they have to have so many minutes that they act, use actual NASA footage. Um, but again, they use one of the platforms that we have available and it's, it's to get films for a film competition, if you will, to support the Houston Cinema Arts Society. Okay. Um, they call it the Cinespace film competition it's and, and, and it, they're amazing like if you go on their site and look at the past winners the stories they tell are they'll just rip your heart out it was great it's <laughs> cool and, and inspiring like they're really inspiring yeah i know think i know kind of where the answer to the, this last question is going but i want to give you the opportunity to say it is your work here now a fully developed program that's ready to go out on its own or are you still blowing this up we're, we're working across the whole agency and across the whole federal government. We would love for uh, it to have a higher adoption rate. Yes, um, because, yeah, and I think we 
we are mature in our operational mm -hmm. model. We know how to use this stuff now. We know what to look for. Uh, like I said earlier, we're still learning and we still think there are more um, projects at NASA, more specific things at NASA that could use this capability. Um, we're really not about building an empire here with this, <laughs> but really about trying to get organizations to use it yeah. and infuse it into the standard way that we do non-standard stuff. A lot of people still see it as a novelty. Yeah. They don't see it as a core tool. And, and a lot of that, you know, it, it, it's a little threatening um, into your psyche if you feel like you're the innovator. It feels weird to, to think that somebody else is going to bring that idea. And we try to get people past that. We try to get people to really own the problem and realize that, that solutions are actually built on technologies and ideas that come from all over the place. You know, when you use that Excel spreadsheet to come up with your great stuff, you don't feel bad about that, right? I mean, <laughs> but somebody else developed that, right? And so leveraging the best of what's going on out there as building blocks in the end makes makes our workers the heroes, right? They're yes. the ones that, that if you can come up with an ECLA system that weighs half as much and uses a tenth of the power, you're gonna be a hero. No matter how many contests and other people helped you with that, like the fact that you actually did a competition to go find that um, and, and bring it all to bear, that's the important part. And we're really, that's the, the, the thing that we're working with our employees. The, the participation out resource. in the public's just been amazing. That resource, and, and it's, it's part of a bigger trend going on right now. Uh, the gig economy, the freelance work, and crowds all kind of intersect. And there's a real movement of mobilizing people in ways that, that engage their passion and make the most use and can navigate the large amounts of, of technology and, and expertise that's, that's coming. Just think about how fast things are changing. That rate of yeah. change is so fast now that traditional models of trying to keep people educated just just are falling short. And a lot of these newer models, a lot of what people are doing in the crowd and in freelance and in gig, they are actually doing lifelong learning. They are upskilling all the time, but they're doing it outside of the workplace and then applying it on these platforms. So it's kind of an interesting time we live in. It is interesting, and it, and it also sounds a whole lot more fun than traditional procurement. <laughs> <laughs> we make get, traditional uh, procurement yeah. fun. How's that? <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's for a tagline. Pro procurement just awarded us a, a, an innovation this, award. Most That's of the right. companies for, we work with are small business, mm -hmm. by the way. So that, that and, helps too. And we don't think about it, but innovation in our government processes is actually where we have to be focusing. It's not just about technology. It's about where in our regulations do we need to be changing to adapt? Like the, the world is changing. We need to find innovative ways to, to, to change along with it. In order for it to keep up. Yep. And, yeah. yeah, really. Great. Lim Buquo and Steve Rader, thank you very much. This is terrific. <laughs> thank you, Pat. This Thanks. was fun. Okay. Thanks. <laughs>
COSI. That's C-O-E-C-I. You can get more information and search for imagery and subscribe to the NASA crowdsourcing listserv. Get ideas. In fact, they even suggested to me that you could go there and leave ideas for the podcast. You can go online to keep up with all things NASA at nasa.gov. It would also be a good idea for you to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. You will thank me. And when you go to those sites, use the hashtag AskNASA to submit a question or suggest a topic for us. Remember to indicate that it's for Houston. We have a podcast. You can go find the full catalog of all of our other episodes by going to nasa.gov podcasts. When you do, check out many other NASA podcasts, all of them cool, that you can also find there. Many of them uh, all available right there at the same spot where you can find us at nasa.gov slash podcasts. This podcast was recorded April 2nd, 2019. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Gary Jordan, Nora Moran, and Sarah Schleter for their help with the production. And to our guests, Lynn Buquo and Steve Rader. We'll be back next week. <laughs>